Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, send forth your Son, we pray, to lead home his bride, the Church, that with all the company of the redeemed, we may finally enter into his eternal wedding feast. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This week, the end of the church year, and also the week of Day of National Thanksgiving, continues the second week on the 
Lord's Prayer introduction and first petition. But the verse for the week has been uh, changed from last week's verse. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This week, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So we'll be talking a little bit about that on Wednesday night and Thursday in that divine service. But before we get there, uh, you know, sometimes you get questions after the service. Uh, This morning, the question was asked about the Old Testament reading for today, which is Isaiah 65. And I'm confused. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now, so far, so good. We hear that and we think this is describing the new heavens and the new earth the new creation, where the former pain, tears, sin, death will be no longer. But here's where the confusion comes. Verse 20, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And then it goes on from there. If this is describing heaven, eternal life, then how can we say An infant from there shall no longer live but a few days. A a child shall die 100 years old. I thought there was going to be no death in the new heavens and in the new earth. And this is our problem. When it comes to the scriptures... We have difficulty with an imagination. No eye has seen nor ear heard. We're constantly groping for words to describe what will it be like in the new heavens and the new earth in the time of the resurrection, the new Jerusalem. What will it be like? Some try to define it as, you know, in earthly terms of pleasure, I get to have all that pleasure I want without any consequences. You know, like, I get to eat and eat and eat and eat and not grow fat. 
or I love golf so I can play golf and play golf and play golf and play golf. So you see there, heaven is cast in terms of what I now enjoy. And really that's not heaven at all. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth is to be with Christ. Now what is this talking about then? It's by way of contrast. We really sense the brokenness of this world, the curse of the fall, the corruption of sin, when a little infant dies of SIDS. Or when someone in the prime of life is suddenly snuffed out, and they've got so much life ahead, but they leave a wife and children behind. Or like the director of the daycare facility near our house, the Little Red Schoolhouse, who was pregnant and hit by a car on, from behind, pushed her into oncoming traffic on 164. Both she and her unborn child were killed and the toddler in the car. And the husband woke up that morning with a wife and a family and went to bed that night and they were all dead. And he was single. Okay? So what Isaiah is doing is painting this picture. Can you imagine a life in which you live out your days? Can you imagine a life in which children do not die? You know, a little child living to be 100 years old. That doesn't mean that there's going to be death. It's a point of comparison. We can't imagine that. And by the way, we, I've experienced this where families are so grateful when they've had, I mean, I think about, um, doesn't mean it wasn't sad, but I, when I was born, I had no living grandparents. You know, the generation. My father's parents were dead. My mother's parents were dead. I was born without any living grandparents. I married into a family, and Beth had four living grandparents in good health. What a wonderful blessing. At the end of those long lives, we have, I've had a wife and a chil children. I've been married 70 years, and we've enjoyed the good. There's, there's a celebration even at the time of death in the midst of tears and so forth. The grief that one feels when someone is snuffed out ahead of time, when parents are alive and they have to bury children. That seems more wrong to our sensibilities than it does when somebody is 97 or 98, lives vigorously, and then dies even in a nursing home. Okay. So don't be confused by a passage like this. And don't be afraid sometimes to use your imagination. What would it be like? So the prophet Isaiah gives us a perspective with these words. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is that the wolf and the lamb shall lie, shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. 
So there will be no disgruntled deer hunters who are envious of their turf and run after you because you're trespassing. Okay. Which happened to my other neighbor this morning. I just got a text on that. He, he met someone, by the way, Chuck. Came to his door. Can you believe that? Anyway, all right. So I hope that helps with the Isaiah passage. Any comments on that? The psalm for the week is, is number 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Why are we praying Psalm 92 this week? It's Thanksgiving. All right, good. Now, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 is here on the board. That's our verse for the week. Okay, let's speak it. This is after the flood. Okay, this is part of God's promise to his creation. Let's speak it together. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Let's do it one more time here. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Okay. What's our response to that? Nathaniel? What's our response? You raised your hand. It will not cease. The, like, global warming is not true. The God will provide the, the, season, the seasons. Okay, so my, my question then is, what is our response to that, to this promise? Thanks be to God. There you go. Thanksgiving. That's what I want you to see. Is Bob here? Bob, how many years have you been farming? Uh, enough. Enough. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like all your life, right? I'd like to ask you a question. Have you, in any year of your life as a child farmer, or as a young man farmer, or as a mature seasoned farmer, you're not old yet, have you ever known there not to be seed time? Never? In all those years? Have you ever known there to be no harvest? Have you ever known there to be no cold? No. It was 74 degrees a week ago, Thursday is what? Well, what has really amazed me the last year more so than any other is every year is totally the same, but yet totally in detail different. Yeah, every year is totally, totally, different. totally the same and totally different. And the crops grew, some years better than others. It's a reminder of our frailty, of our dependency. So you've, you've known there to be heat also. It, never, never a time when there's not been heat? Okay. Winter? Summer? How about day? Has the sun ever not risen? Has it ever not risen? Very, very, what should I say? Mount St. Helens. It, then, that was less. 
But it was still, yep, I remember that too. Some of you are, Pastor Christensen is not old enough to remember that. It's true, okay? And then night, they shall not cease. Think about this. In the entire history of the planet, all of these things have taken place. All of them. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, I'll be, give a little bit of a, a sharpening of Nathaniel's comments. Um, I'm not here to argue global warming is not true. There has, because there has always been global climate change. But there also has always been one person in charge of the globe. Who that? The Lord God Almighty. And when you pray the Psalms, I just would urge you to pray those 60-day Psalm cycle and just notice all of those references to the Lord sends the cold, the Lord blows the wind, the Lord scorches with heat. Instead, we have become modern pagans. And a modern pagan is like the old, the old ancient pagans, worshiping the creation, the gods of the creation like Mother Earth. And if you appease the gods, then they will smile on you and you'll be able to avert the global climate change. Um, as George W. Bush would say, not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Okay? We as Christians need to learn to understand what the Bible says and to rest in the promises of God. And I, I, I pointed this out the last few years. When we, when we pray the setting three liturgy, which will start in again uh, during Advent and Christmas, um, I, I've grown to, to really appreciate those versicles. Our help is in the name of the Lord, what comes next? Amen. Who made heaven and earth. The collective mass of humanity cannot create the heavens and the earth. The collective mass of humanity cannot control the climate. Can't do it. Look at how we've tried. How many of you were, had power outages because of the wind? It's a matter, if you'd had a solar car, you wouldn't have had that happen. We could all have driven solar cars and it would not have mattered. All right. So the response to this is to give thanks. Link this also with the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer this week. We, we don't have it this week. It's coming up in, in Advent. But give us this day our daily bread. God certainly gives daily bread only to pious, devout Christians, but never to anybody else who's evil and doesn't believe in him. Isn't that what the catechism says? It's not what the catechism says. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. You might want to say, especially to them. As Jesus said, God causes, in the Sermon on the Mount, the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. The just, those who are 
justified, righteous by faith, the unjust, those who do not believe. It's not like, you know, it falls on my property, but not the property of the guy who's hacked off about someone walking on his property to find the dead deer. He gets the benefit of the rain and the sun the same as everybody else does, which is a testimony to God's universal, what's the term? Providence is not so good. Universal grace. grace. Yep, God's universal grace. Okay? So everybody benefits from this, even the heathen. So why not, instead of arguing with your heathen against global climate change, oh, yes, it changes all the time. Remember how this Wisconsin, where I live, the Kettle Moraine, you know, it was, I'm sure glad it warmed up because the ice sheets could go away. There was massive climate change at the time of the flood. Humongous climate change. We fully accept it. But it's time for us to confess the Lord God Almighty is in charge. And that's why I asked the question of Bob, go back in history, look. Now I remember I was disappointed as a kid, 1960s, because um, I heard from Mr. Peterson, who if he were alive today, about 115 or something like that, how the snow drifts were so massive back then. There was more snowfall in that period of the 30s and 40s. And uh, there is lots of change. And Bob's comment was extremely insightful. This is why you should all be farmers. You'd be a lot better off than being pinhead scientists. Does that offend someone here? Okay. Bob's insight there, every year has been different. And yet it's the same. Brilliant. Because someone else is in charge and it's not us. So in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. So you get up this morning and I looked at 5.30 and it was 6 degrees. Thanks be to God. That's the temperature it should be this morning. And then I cracked the, the door last night to my outdoor basement entrance. It's closed, it's covered with snow, but when it gets this cold, it drops below freezing and all the apples are in there and the squash. So I just, thanks be to God, I had some extra heat to put up in there by cracking the door and it stayed above freezing. Thanks be to God, I've got a boiler and natural gas. You know, the flood, I'm going to talk about this today. We'll get to the flood, I promise you. Uh, think of what the flood gave to the world. Coal. Lots of coal. In fact, my eldest son's father-in-law was part of a company that had developed um, the technology 
to burn coal and recycle its own um, waste products that were toxic so that there was no toxicity. But it was politically incorrect, and that's why it could get nowhere. But we got coal in vast numbers, natural gas, oil, unbelievable. All of the things in your life that depend on oil, your plastic bags, your milk jugs, uh, fertilizer, it goes on and on and on. All right, enough of that. Welcome. Are you a guest of Eunice's? Yes. I am glad she brought you. What is your name? Ben. Ben Yamin. Benjamin? Yes. Yeah. Benjamin Wright. Yes, sir. Wait, do you live in West Bend? No, I actually live in South Milwaukee. And you came to pick up Eunice. Yep. yep God bless you. <laughs> she shouldn't be driving because she's blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. <laughs> other than that, she's in good shape. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 7. When you think of the um, flood, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you think primarily of judgment, be honest with me, wrath and judgment, or <coughs> salvation and blessing? Judgment. I think that's pretty much universal. You look at the flood and you think of wrath and judgment. But from the Bible's point of view, from the Bible's point of view, the flood is primary salvation and new life. For Noah and his family and the entire human race and for the creation itself. The flood is linked in the scriptures to our baptism. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about how Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And the long-suffering and patience in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in which a few, that is eight souls in all, were saved through water. <coughs> Corresponding to this, baptism now saves you. The flood waters were real. The word of God was the power of the flood. Corresponding to that, the waters of baptism are real. The word of God in the water does great things. It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, gives eternal salvation. The great flood finds its fulfillment in baptism. Noah and his family and the entire human race were redeemed by the flood. The flood saved Noah. The flood saved the creation. The flood saved mankind. Yes, it was judgment, just as baptism is the death to sin. 
Do you not know as many of you as were baptized into Christ were buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Another event. Now this, I don't think you'll be as prone to say judgment. But when you look to the cross, do you think mainly of judgment or salvation? Salvation. But... Just like the flood, the fiercest judgment of God is not in the flood, but in the cross. And just as the flood is about salvation, so also is the cross, even though in the suffering and death of Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out upon the one who knew no sin, but whom God made to be sin for us. So we're called to judge things not according to outward appearance. You look at the naked man hanging from the cross. We're rather called to judge things on the basis of the word of God and most especially the promise of salvation in the gospel. Philip. Sounds like um, judgment and salvation are almost always linked together. You can't have one without the other. Brilliant. It's called the theology of the cross, that God accomplishes his greatest good in the midst of suffering and when human reason is contradicted. So Luther said, in order to make alive, God puts to death. In order to raise us to the heights of heaven, he brings us down to the pit of hell. So at the end of the church year, what he wishes for us more than anything else in our plight, misery, suffering, hardships, whatever they are, receive me. Let me love you. Let me forgive you. Let me shoulder your burden. Let me cover your sin. And that's the, that's the path of joy and so forth. All right, so in the flood, I just want you to see the wonderful recreation that is going on. Yes, judgment. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. But the greater story is the new creation, which is a prelude of the things to come. All right. So in chapter 7, uh, we ended at verse 12. There was rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And we should say that it was good because God sent it. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. When we talked about the Spirit gives life not only to human beings, but the Spirit also gives life to anything that has life in creation. So those that entered, the, uh, that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him up. So it is the Lord command, just like at creation, God said and it was so. By the command of the Lord, the animals were brought to the ark. 
and by the command of the Lord, they entered into the ark. What a wonderful thing. Noah didn't have to go on this Theodore Roosevelt safari, you know, to, to gather up uh, animals of every kind. The Lord sent them. Now, the flood was on the... He was uh, president of the United States. John met him. <laughs> One of those amazing stories happened here in Milwaukee with Theodore Roosevelt, the assassination attempt. He had, yes, he had his speech. You know, they gave such long speeches then. It was like a Clinton speech. And um, so it was folded up in his breast pocket, and it, the bullet embedded in that speech. And you thought speeches were political, yeah, were useless. All right, well, anyway, okay. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Uh, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. So 15, 18 inches in a cubit, roughly. So you got 15 feet plus another half of that, like 22, 23 feet, um, the shallowest part. The topography of the planet was radically different prior to the flood and had a radical transformation after the flood. Uh, it's why we can find uh, fossil remains on high mountains. You need water and pressure to produce it. Well, the flood provided both. So when all flesh dried that, uh, died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So I'm quite serious when I say through death, God produced life. Through death, God produced the things that we enjoy that sustain life today. Um, we had uh, a well, it was about 70 feet deep outside our home in McHenry, Illinois, that you had the hand pump. Do any of you have that? Do you still have one of those on your farm, Bob? Or not anymore? Uh, there's one or two left yet in the area. Do, do you use them at all? Pump water for cattle or no? Okay. Well, I just, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And you have to pump and pump and pump and pump and pump and wait, and then all of a sudden, here comes, the, here comes the water. But how God, through the death of the animals and the submerging of massive quantities of organic material, uh, produced these great coal deposits, uh, natural gas and oil and so forth. So he destroyed all living things which move on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air, they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Do you remember the parable of Jesus? The parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed seems to be the most insignificant seed and it's planted in the earth, and out of that mustard seed, there grows this 
spectacular, massive tree, providing shelter for the birds of the air and so forth. Noah. Do you remember last week? How old was he when he entered the ark? 600 years old. If anybody had the right to say, I'm getting too old for this, <laughs> it would be Noah, seemingly to be the most insignificant person in the earth. Just like that man from Galilee who died on the cross. When Jesus died, that mustard seed had nobody else around. Everybody scattered and fled. But he was planted in the earth, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, and now there is a tree, the massive tree known as the church, that even benefits the world around us, you know, like the birds. The world doesn't know that the church is the reason why the world endures. The world doesn't know that it's the prayers of Christians that sustain the world against destruction. But it is true, that's what the Bible teaches. So in that parable, it's a great thing, the, the mustard seed, seemingly the most insignificant seed in all the earth, and yet out of it grows this mighty tree. So Noah, I mean, it's just, what devastation. But think about these patterns that you've seen in your lifetime. The older that you are, the more of them you can remember. Or the older you are, the more of them you can forget. But do you remember when the Exxon Valdez uh, had its rupture and all of the oil? And it was so sad seeing these uh, animals, penguins and others, you know, coated with crude oil. And, and it was like devastating, and, and it's, it's, that region is never going to recover. Not so. There's something that, there's this natural capacity of the oceans and of plate tectonics that create a recycling effect on the planet that is greater than any recycling that man has ever done. Yep, there were animals that died. Yep, it was a mess for a while. But the cleanup, the massive cleanup, was done more by God's order of creation than by man. Now, that doesn't mean uh, go home today, change your oil, and throw it out in the yard. I wouldn't recommend doing that. You're still to be a good steward. But what it does speak about is, again, what we began with. You know, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and night, and summer, day and night shall not cease, that God is ultimately in control. Do we believe this? I believe God has made me and all creatures. He's given me my body, soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. The continuous creation. Extremely comforting. So we are actually called to, to live in joy even under this veil of tears and the curse of the fall through which we experience hardships. But the blessing is that the hardships that we experience teach us our creatureliness. They teach us our creatureliness and our dependence upon the God who is love and who creates. Okay, so the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Three times 50. It's great 50-day cycles. Um, you think of the 50 days from Passover to the giving of the life-giving Torah on Sinai, and then the 50 days of 
the period from the resurrection of Jesus to the outpouring of the Spirit through the gospel preaching on Pentecost. Okay. Now here's 150 days, 3 times 50. Then God remembered Noah. Now, we've talked about this remembering of God before. It is not like, uh, I, I've done this, you know, you put something in the oven, oh, I'll remember, I don't have to set the timer. And then all of a sudden, oh no! And it's well overdone. This is not the kind of remembering that God is, is doing here. When God remembers, it is always a signal I am acting on the basis of my promise. And it's a promise of grace, but always on the basis of my promise. So he remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. It's not just Noah, but it's all of these critters. Could have left cats out, but... Oh, no, okay. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat, which are in Turkey. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month, on the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So these uh, months and days and periods of time, I want you to understand, anchor this event not in some fable or fairy tale, but in world history. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And indeed, the fresh air was so lovely to breathe in. Then he sent out a raven, which is black, and ravens have been always omens of death, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove, white, always been a symbol of peace, to see if the waters had abated from the face of the ground. And then in the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit personified in the descending dove that alights upon Jesus. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark, and he waited yet another seven days. Notice these periods of seven just like the creation, and then there's rest. There's seven, and then there's, there's rest. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. So you've heard of a government extending an olive branch. That is a gesture of peace to a foreign power in which they're in some sort of conflict. And Noah knew that the waters had abated from the earth. Now, I'd like you to think about this waiting for a moment. They've been brought safely through the ark, uh, through the water. The ark has rested on dry ground. 
but things are not instantaneously what? Yeah, better, ready. They, they can't yet go out of the ark. They have to wait for God's good time. In the section from 1 Peter that talks about the flood, it says baptism now saves you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That not the removal of the filth of the flesh, bespeaks how the sin is forgiven in baptism. Yet the weakness of the flesh, the filth of the flesh, abides. Think about this with the flood. On the one hand, is a radical, wonderful recreation. Our great mountain ranges, the Grand Canyon, all the grandeur of creation that God made, he fashioned from the flood, from the waters that came from below, and from above, and then as those waters receded. Uh, mentioned Mount St. Helens. If you have not gone to visit it, I would highly recommend it because this is a little, little, little tiny scale what happened there, but you begin to see how radically fast the world and its topography can change, almost like in the blink of an eye. If you multiply that the world over in terms of the flood, it ain't hard to imagine how these great deposits of coal and oil and natural gas, how these great mountain ranges could be um, uh, fashioned and so forth. But in terms of our life in Christ, the church, we have to wait, don't we? For the full, just no, like Noah and his family had to wait before they could sojourn out of the ark, so we have to wait for the consummation of the ages, the new heaven and the new earth, when finally there will be no more suffering or sorrow or pain. So this waiting of Noah, cooped up with those animals in the ark, they got the breath of fresh air, the window was open, but they didn't immediately go out. So also for us, we've got the breath of fresh air, as it were, by our baptism into Christ and the promise of salvation. But this world is still noted for much suffering and hardship that calls for patient waiting. Okay, so verse 12. So we waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And the, other than in the prophets speaking of it, I'm not aware of any physical dove appearing again until the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And what's the response? Thanks be to God. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. 
So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Why did they go out? Because God said so. Why did they go out? Because they believed what God said. Anytime anyone does anything in the Bible, it's on the basis of faith. They didn't believe, no, I'm going to stay in here. No, go out. Notice the language of grace there. And remember how we started. We tend to think of the flood almost exclusively in terms of judgment. We began at verse 13 today of chapter 7. All of chapter 7 and now all of chapter 8 is about the new life, the restoration of the creation. Okay, the good news. Alec. Well, Turkey. Well, don't assume necessarily that everything remained. Um, you know, when, um, how should we say, when, when there's lava flowing and so forth like that, it's very, it's very fluid. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fluid, and then it congeals and, and hardens. So, um, there's no reason not to think that the current configuration of the planets, or of the uh, continents and their placement, may have been still in flux during the time of the, of, the, of the drying up of the earth and the receding of the waters into the great oceans, the Pacific, the Atlantic, and so forth. All right. So uh, go out. Bring with you every living thing, verse 17, of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So notice the orders of creation in terms of being fruitful and multiply continue here in the new creation, as it were, after the flood. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Now last week, remember, we talked about the clean animals, seven pair each. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. All right, so these offerings, this is before the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, before the Old Testament divine service sacrificial system, and yet the Lord preemptively had instructed him to bring the seven clean animals, the pairs, into the ark, anticipating the sacrifice as they go out of the ark. That's the first thing they do. Everybody goes out and then he worships. And they're called burnt offering. Burnt offerings at the time of Moses were offerings given for the entire congregation and the burnt offering enabled them to have the right to enter into God's presence. Okay? So that burnt offering, it corresponds to like how we, confessing our sin and hearing the Lord's forgiving word, have the right to enter into his presence in the divine service. 
but that there's sacrifices here. Just like these great events in Genesis, Cain murders, uh, prior to Cain murdering Abel, the Lord sacrificed the animals to cover them with skins. Okay? Um, now, here again, there is the burnt offering. The acknowledgement of sin and the dependence upon the Lord's grace for forgiveness of sin. So that becomes the life of the church also today. You think about the ark being a symbol for the church, and remember what we say in the baptismal liturgy. It's from the Psalms, 121. The Lord bless your coming in and your going out from this time forth and even forevermore. So this coming in to the church, going out of the church into the world, this coming in and this going out, we are sustained by the ultimate burnt offering of our Lord Jesus upon the cross. So, so that Noah is instructed to, to do these offerings puts the idea of the sacrifice that God made at the center of the church of Noah's time and the church of our time. Okay, so the Lord God smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, that soothing aroma, Ephesians 5, talks about the soothing aroma of Christ's sacrifice, which delights him because it was the sacrifice of love to cover another's sins. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, you know, corruption of original sin remains. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Here we end where we began with our verse for the week. When we come together next week, we'll conclude the story of Noah. We'll talk about some things with capital punishment and so forth. And we'll talk about changes from the vegetarian uh, eating prior to the uh, fall into sin and prior to the flood, and now the endorsement by God of the eating of uh, ribeye steaks. <laughs> and shellfish. Okay. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.